Good morning. I'll ask you a question. By the way, I need your participation today. All right, so didn't sleep good last night. I need some amens to keep me awake, okay? Um, do, we, do we have anybody that has a picky eater in their family? Anybody here, you got a picky eater in your family? Uh, or you remember when your kids were picky eaters? Uh, it's kind of amazing. When you have a picky eater in your family, uh, dinner is a battle. Every night, dinner is a battle, right? Trying to convince them, trying to bribe them, trying to coerce them, trying to force them. You will eat that. Young man, you sit there till you clean your plate. You know the whole routine. You've experienced that. Well, my wife has been married to a picky eater for almost 39 years. Uh, for example, a lot of you know, uh, I don't like cheese, and which means that I don't eat macaroni and cheese. Um, this past Wednesday night, uh, we had our BSF rally. We had Chick-fil-A stuff and Chick-fil-A mac and cheese, and, and it's kind of funny how people respond when they find out you don't eat macaroni and cheese, or you don't eat cheese in general. For example, this Wednesday night, Colin and Crystal were sitting in front of me, and they realized what, what was happening, that I wasn't eating, and we got that whole conversation going. And Now, they were nice about it. They were, they were very nice about it, but they were questioning my sanity, basically, you know? <laughs> but, but some people are worse than them. I mean, again, I want to stress, they were nice about it, but some people seem to almost get offended by it. I promise you, I told this story after the first service, in the, on the plaza out front after the first service, a lady came up to me and said, I just don't understand why you don't like cheese. <laughs> I mean, people just get offended by it. They, they become cheese apologists, you know. It's like, well, have you ever tasted cheese? How, how could you not like cheese? And so I move on to, well, I also don't like fish or seafood. Just change the subject, you know, try to get them off... I mean, basically, here's the deal with fish or seafood. I don't need anything that comes out of the water. God put it there for a purpose. He never intended that for my stomach. Uh, Which always, again, brings up questions like, well, how could you not like seafood? But then they always say this. They always say this. Well, have you ever tried, and then fill in the blank. Well, have you ever tried mahi-mahi? I mean, if you you tasted mahi-mahi, you would like it. So, the same thing goes for coffee. I don't like coffee. People can't understand that. Uh, I I see him back there. I'm going to pick on my buddy Mike Jones. And I went to Costa Rica years ago. Costa Rica is known for their... It's the coffee country. Mike could not comprehend that we're in Costa Rica and I'm not drinking coffee. He said, well, you just had never had it the way I try it, the way I fix it. If I fixed it and you drank it, you'd like it. So, he fixed it. And I drank it. And I spit it out. So here's the thing that I'm trying to get you to understand. It's interesting that when, when people who like something, when, when, they, when they find out that you've never tried it, they want you to like it too. Right? Uh, if they like something, they want you to like it too. And they're convinced, watch this, listen, they are convinced you will like it too if you just taste it. What's true for food is also true for God. It's interesting that those who know God want others to know Him too, right? And we're convinced they will actually like God if they just taste Him. They just give Him a try. 
I mean, let's go back to the picky eater. If you're the parent of the picky eater, you know how frustrating it could be to try to convince that child to eat their vegetables, that their vegetables are actually good. Uh, you know how, what a struggle that is, but also you, you know if you have a skeptic in your family, how frustrating it is to try to convince that, that family member that they do actually need God in their life. You know because you've experienced it. But they don't know. Because they've never tasted it. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that speaks to that very issue. The, the Bible gives us a very interesting challenge in Psalm 34, verse 8. We're going to put it on the screen. And here's what it says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. It's interesting, those first three words. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David, in this verse, is daring the skeptics around him to experience the Lord for themselves in a very real and tangible way. He dares the unbelievers around him to give God a chance. Just taste and see. I'm beginning a new series today called Taste and See. And it really is based on Psalm 34. If you take your Bibles, we'll find that verse we just read on the screen. Psalm 34 Before we look at verse 8, we really need to dig into the entire psalm, or most of the psalm, to understand it. Uh, The background to Psalm 34 is quite interesting. Uh, And we don't even have to guess what the background is. There is a notation there to help us understand the background. It's called a superscript. Right under Psalm 34, there's this notation, uh, small letters, this superscript, and I'm going to show you what it says in my personal study Bible. Because for some of you, if I were to just tell you the background behind this psalm, you'd say, that's not true. That didn't happen. So let me show you my personal study Bible. Here's what it says. I put it in red. Psalm 34. Here's the notation or the superscript. First of all, it says, of David. In other words, David is the author of this psalm. That's what that means. Of David. He wrote it. Now, when did he write it? When he pretended to be insane. Before Abimelech. Now, let me tell you about Abimelech, by the way. Abimelech is simply a title, a dynastic title of the kings of Gath. Just like in Egypt, the dynastic title for the rulers of Egypt was Pharaoh. Now, they had a name, but they were called Pharaoh. Abimelech is the dynastic name of the kings of Gath. And you'll see why that's important in a moment. So, here's the background behind Psalm 34. When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. That's the background behind this psalm. The title that we just read really connects this psalm to David's experience in the area, in the nation of Gath with the Philistines. And it was a dangerous time for him. So to show you what I'm talking about, put your finger in Psalm 34 and find 1 Samuel. It's 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel Chapter 21. This was a difficult and scary time in David's life. And we'll read about it. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. That day David fled from Saul, Saul the king of Israel. That day David, running for his life, fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. So Achish is his name. Abimelech that we read in the superscript, is this dynastic title. That's why it's different. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? 
Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, but David and David his tens of thousands. And so they are beginning to feel threatened, these soldiers, these men who are serving the king of Gath. They begin to think, no, wait a minute, what's he doing here? What's his intention here? And they begin to feel threatened. David, verse 12, took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And so, watch this, this is where it gets crazy. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. Now, how insane did he get? Well, let's watch. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? What that must have sounded like? He's, he's growling and he's making noises and he's, he's, he's marking the walls and the gates and saliva's running down. And it's all just, a, just an act. He's trying to keep himself alive and he's convinced this is the only way. If they really think I'm here to, to attack them, they're going to kill me. But if they think I'm insane, maybe they'll let me go. Verse 14, Achish, the king, said to his servants, Look at the man. He is insane. Which must have sounded like good words to David at that moment, you know? He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Aren't there enough crazy people around in this country and you had to bring one to me? That's what he's saying. Must this man come into my house? And then look at chapter 22, verse 1. Here's what it says. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now look up here for a moment. Perhaps in that cave, David wrote Psalm 34. We don't know exactly the place, but we know the background. Perhaps in the cave at Adullam, or sometime shortly thereafter, David wrote about God. David wrote in this, about this dangerous time he had lived through and the scary time he was living in. And he wrote this psalm about God. And here's what I want you to see. David carefully, capital letters, David carefully wrote Psalm 34. How do I know he wrote it carefully? Let me ask you a question. Look at Psalm 34 and tell me how many verses are in Psalm 34. How many verses? How many? 22. 22 verses in Psalm 34. And if you had to guess how many, alpha, how, how many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. And so if you were to read this text in the Hebrew language, what you would find is the very first letter of verse 1 is an aleph, which is the first Hebrew letter in the alphabet. The second verse begins with a bet, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The Third verse begins with a gimel, which is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you read through the psalm, it's what we call an acrostic poem, that every verse begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Why is that important? Because David carefully sat down to write this poem of worship about God in a dark, difficult time. And it's like, I would say to you, you don't write an acrostic poem easily. You don't write it quickly. It takes a lot of thought process to understand how you're going to do this. And of course, you've got the Spirit of God leading you as you write this down. But that's the background behind Psalm 
34. Let's read the psalm now that we understand the background. Psalm 34. Open God's Word back to that if you haven't already. He begins this psalm with a call to worship. He joyfully is worshiping God in all circumstances. I want you to look for that as we read. He says, verse 1, I will extol the Lord. I will honor the Lord. I will bless the Lord is what that word means. At all times. At all times. Notice that. His praise will, what's that next word, church? His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And David says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. That's how he begins this strategic psalm. And if you were to take the time to read the through the psalm and look for the name Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you will see that it's listed 16 times in these 22 verses. This is a psalm about the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient God of the universe. That's why David said, I will extol, verse 1, and bless or honor the Lord. That's why he says in verse 2, I will boast in the Lord. That's why he said in verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Because David was writing this psalm of praise about Yahweh, the covenant God, who is self-existent, self-sustaining, and eternal. And David knows this God. And it changed his whole perspective about what he was going through. So David moves from praise in verses 1 through 3 to testimony in verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7, he tells how good God had been to him. Read with me. He says, verse 4 I sought the Lord, I sought Yahweh, I sought Jehovah. And He answered me. Isn't it good when God answers your prayers? Isn't it something to celebrate? When you've got a burden, you've got a problem, and you're calling out to God, and you seek the Lord, and He answers me. David said, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, those who look to Him are radiant. It makes a difference, and their faces are never covered with shame. And then I love verse 6. It's, it's, it's almost my, my favorite verse in the psalm besides verse 8. Because in verse 6, David says, this poor man, he's talking about himself. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Let me tell you what that poor man means. This phrase, this poor man, is not talking about his financial resources. David likely had a lot of money. It's not talking about financial resources when he says this poor man. You know what he's talking about when he says this poor man? He's talking about his inability to change his circumstances. That he has nothing to bring to God. That he has no way, he does not have the resources to fix his problem. He needs somebody else who has what he does not have. As far as the problems he's facing, he is a poor man. And the only thing he can do is call out to God in need. Man, that's beautiful. This poor man. What he says. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. I've been that poor man from time to time, haven't you? I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about having absolutely nothing to bring to God except my need. 
And I call out to God. And He has answered. And He has helped. And then we come to our key verse. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. David is basically saying, now listen. If you don't believe what I've said about God so far, if you don't believe that what I've said about God is true, taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. If you don't believe it, I understand that, okay. If you think I'm exaggerating, okay. If you think I'm lying or I've misstated, okay. Uh, But just taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. That word good is an important word in the Psalms. We don't have the time to go all the way through the text, but basically what David is saying is this. Watch this, listen church. Because God is good, everything He does in our lives is good. Now that doesn't mean that everything that happens in our life is good, but what does Romans 8.28? For we know that in all things, God works together for the for those who are called love Him and called according to His purpose. Because God is good, everything He does in our lives is intended for our good. But all of that, all of that hinges on these eight words. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the hinge of the entire psalm. Taste and see that the Lord is it's good. What does that mean for you and I? Well, that's really what the whole series is going to be about. But today at least, I, I want to make two basic points to you to help us get started in this concept of tasting and seeing that God is good. And the first thing I want you to understand is this. We are all invited to experience God personally. Can somebody say amen? Here's the good news. Listen to me. Those watching online, listen to me please. We are all as in every one of us, all as in no one is excluded. We are all invited to experience God personally. You see, David in Psalm 34 is inviting people to experience God for themselves in a very real and tangible way. By tasting something, watch this, by tasting something, you experience it. And you might even enjoy it. Unless it's cheese. By tasting it, you experience it. And you enjoy it. I I can help you with this a little bit, maybe with this illustration. Uh, Mondays are usually my day off. And this past Monday, uh, Lisa and I took our grandson Sawyer to the strawberry patch. Uh, By the way, this is Jerry and Melanie Porter's grandson too. And I know they... Uh, they uh, love him as much as we do. But Sawyer's a cute little guy, about 20 months old, something like that. And he loves strawberries. So, have, have we got a picture? Let's, there we go. So, we, we got the strawberries. You know, we got the gallon bucket. And, and we had a bottle of water. So, we were washing them. We'd let him eat. And, and another one. And then another one. And then another. You know, just how it is. And so, Sawyer, he loves strawberries. And when I try to say, Sawyer, you've had enough, buddy. That's enough for now, Okay. Sawyer has this way of getting his way. Here's what he said. By the way, he's, the way he says more is mo. Mo. He, he can't say more yet. He just says mo. 
So after he had eaten several strawberries, I didn't want him to get sick or anything. I said, hey, buddy, you, you've had enough for now, okay? And he looked at me and he put his little finger up in front of his face. He said, just one more. Of course, he got it, as you can see in the picture. <laughs> then you know what the rascal did? He ate that strawberry and he came back to me. He said, just one more. <laughs> and then if you don't give it to him, then he says, peas. So I had an illustration for you, but we ate the illustration. <laughs> you see, once, that's what it did look like, by the way. But here, look at that picture. Don't look at the empty bucket. Look at that picture and, and realize that once you have tasted a juicy, fresh strawberry and you realize how good it is, isn't it natural to want just one more? That's kind of what David's getting at here. Just taste and see. Just take a bite and see. Just because when you taste it, you experience it. You enjoy it. See, some people have decided they don't need God, not because they've ever tasted and tried God, but they've decided they don't need God because just from observation, they've looked at the world, they've, they've read some things online, and they've just made the decision, they've come to the conclusion, I don't want God or I don't need God. David would say, well, why don't you at least taste and see? It might be more than you realize. You see, too many people have a second or third hand knowledge of God. They've heard about God, of course. They've heard about God from their parents or their grandparents. They've heard about God's goodness from those people around them in their family. But they've never experienced it for themselves. This idea that God might be good is just an idea in their mind. It's not a, something they have first hand knowledge about. That's what David is getting at here. He wants everybody to have first hand knowledge of God. So how does that happen in your life? How does it happen that you and I can have first-hand knowledge of God? See if this makes sense to you. If you're going to experience God, you have to try God. I know that's such a simple statement. But the order there is, is, is correct. In order to experience God, you have to try God. The Living Bible explains that verse this way. Oh, put God to the test and see how kind He is. The Message Bible says it this way. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. The word taste, by the way, in the Hebrew text there, it means to discover by experience. It means just what I've been talking about. Because you taste it, you experience. That's what the word means, to discover by experience. And the word see, taste and see, the word in the Hebrew means to see for yourself. First-hand experience, not a second-hand knowledge, but to see for yourself. David wants people to experience what he has experienced. He wants them to know what he knows. He wants them to find what he has found. Taste. And see that God is good. I'd say it to you this way. The ultimate proof for God is to try God. The ultimate proof for God is just to try God. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. You know, I can look at a, at a, a bowl of guacamole. Is that what you, 
you put guacamole in a bowl, you can tell I don't eat it. Yeah. I, I can look at a bowl of guacamole and I have already decided in my mind, I don't like it. Now, have I ever tasted it? No. Nor do I plan to. Have I ever experienced it? No, because I've never tasted it. But I have convinced myself, I do not like guacamole. And yet I've never tried it. And when my wife hears this, she's in the other service, when my wife hears this, all right, you've got to try it, big boy. You just put your... Here, it's the same with God. Some of you perhaps have people in your family, and they're kind of like I am with guacamole. They've already decided they don't like God or need God. They already decided that that's okay for you, but that's not for me. They've already decided. Because of what they've read on the internet or because of somebody they listen to on the radio, they've already decided God's not for them. And you get so frustrated because have you ever tried God? But no, I just by observation decided I don't need God. David would say, taste and see. Experience it for yourself. Look at who God is. Look at what God's done. But don't just observe it. Experience Him. Taste and see. And that brings me to the second point. Our lives are blessed when we try God. Our lives are blessed when we try God. I mean, that's strictly right out of the text, verse 8. Uh, verse 8, it says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man, the woman, the, the teenager, the boy or girl. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in God. The word blessed, I looked it up, and it means, watch this, a heightened state of happiness and joy. A heightened state of happiness and joy. Those who know the one who created the universe have a heightened experience of happiness and joy. Those who have a personal relationship with God Almighty have a heightened sense of happiness and joy. Those who trust in the Lord experience genuine happiness in life. That's why David said, just taste and see. Because our life, your life will be blessed when you do. I, I said this, I think, recently, but I'm going to say it again. I've never seen anybody say to me, and I've been pastoring now for 35 years, I've never seen anybody say to me, you know what, I trusted Christ at so-and-so date, and I just regret that. I've never seen anybody who tasted and saw for themselves. I've never had anybody come back and say, man, I regret making that decision. The only regrets they have is sometimes, why did I wait so long? I just regret that I waited till my adult years. I've, I've heard that a lot. I, I regret that I waited till my senior years. I, I, I regret that I waited until my children were grown. I wish, I wish I had tasted that earlier. I wish I had experienced God earlier. David said, I know. I know. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Now, I'm trying to make this as practical as I can. So, I, I want to talk to you about a resource that may help you. And there's two different ways you can use this resource. And I'll tell you that I found this resource at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so I'm using their resource. And you'll find one when you're leaving. You may have already picked it up. And that's fine if you did. Look for these yellow sheets. And it says, Taste and See on the top. And I'm going to encourage you to use this in one of two ways. 
In fact, you might want to get two copies, one for you and for, one for somebody else. The first way I would encourage you to use this resource is to simply give this to somebody who's a skeptic. Maybe they're a seeker, but they're still a little bit of a skeptic. Maybe they're interested, they're just not there yet to, to put their faith in Christ. How about taking this, hey, my pastor, put it on me, okay? Just put it on me. My pastor asked me to hand this out to somebody. Would you take this? And my challenge to you is just to read one of these passages every day during the month of May. And if you've got any questions, let's talk about it. And at the top of the page, there's four statements, questions to help them kind of take that passage and understand it and apply it to their lives. Now, understand... You may need to buy somebody a Bible. It would be a very valid question. Do you have a Bible? If not, I'll buy you one, okay? So, so one way to use this is to take this to somebody that's a seeker, take it to somebody who's considering faith or whatever, maybe even an agnostic. Say, hey, would you just, would you just dare to read a scripture a day? It's only one or two verses every day. Every day during the month of May, and let's talk about it as you feel comfortable talking about it. And the questions are these. Think about the main point of the text. What's it saying in your own words? How does this change what you believe about yourself or about God? Pray and talk to God about what you've read and ask Him to help you put the Bible into practice in your life and in your relationships. Here's what you're doing if you use this with, with the seeker. Exposing them to the Bible. Simply exposing them to the Bible gives them an opportunity to taste and see that God is good. So just encourage them to read this, this passage every day and just see what it says about God. Just see what it says about life. Just see what it shows them about the goodness of God. Just taste and see. Don't put a lot of pressure on them. Just, hey, would you just read one verse a day? Ask them to think about what it says about God and what it says about them. That's one way to use it. Second way to use this uh, resource is for you personally. And what I mean by that is, maybe you would take this, and for the next 31 days, there's 31 verses, just like there's 31 days in the month of May, and you'll read this passage today, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. I read that this morning. And so here's what some of you might need to do. You use this 31-day taste and see challenge to kind of re-engage in a regular time of prayer and Bible study. For some of you, life has been busy and life has been hectic and life has been hard and life has been frustrating. And, and, and sometimes in those situations, you still know God, you still love God, but all that just kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit because life has just been crazy. How about for the next 31 days, you walk with your pastor through these 31 verses? I'm not going to be writing about it or calling you or anything like that, but but just knowing that your pastor is reading these verses and you read those verses with me. For the next 31 days during the month of May, just kind of re-engage in Bible study and prayer. Just for the next 31 days, just kind of re-engage and taste and see for yourself that God is good. You can pick these up as you're leaving. J.D. Greer said, God's greatest desire for us is that our faith become our own and that our relationship with Christ is one that is real and personal to us. So I want to close today asking you a very simple, straightforward question. How do you know that God is real? 
There's lots of ways we could answer that question. We could talk about creation and we could talk about the revelation of God in Scripture, the revelation of God in, in the heavens. We, there's lots of different ways we, you could answer the question, how do you know God is real? We could talk about personal experience, but the Bible's answer to this is pretty simple. How do you know God is real? David would say, just taste and see. Try it yourself. And it's interesting, that same message is woven throughout the Old and the New Testament. This idea that just like food satisfies the longings of our stomach, God satisfies the longings of our soul. That's woven throughout Scripture. Let me show you one example in Psalm 63. Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. And my body longs for You. You see, just like food is what we long for, David said, my body, my soul longs for God. You see, in essence, Christianity is not about rules and church attendance and good deeds and good habits. All of those are important. But really, Christianity is about experiencing the life of God on a personal level. And so the psalmist said, my body just longs for God. Jesus said much the same thing in the New Testament. In John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said, I can quench the thirst of your soul. And the famous quote, Augustine prayed, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. Have a restless heart? Like, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And maybe you're looking around at another woman, or you're looking around at another man, or you're looking around at another job, or you're looking around at another church, or you're looking around at, a, at another anything, because there's got to be more than what you've got right now. I want you to remember something. Look at this quote. I want you to remember this. Your needs will never be met in the faces you look into. The needs of your soul can only be met by God. And all God's people said, I don't care who it is, the needs of, of your soul will never be met. The needs of your life will never be met by the faces you look into. The needs of your soul can only be met by God. And David said, if you don't believe it, Taste and see. And I want to close with this verse. Jesus one day was in the city of Jerusalem. There was a lot of people there that day. It was a religious festival. A lot of religious people, of course, in the city of Jerusalem. But apparently not only were there a lot of religious people, there were a lot of dissatisfied people in the city of Jerusalem. Because it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Jesus really is what our soul longs for. I want to ask you a very pragmatic question. Those watching online, I want to ask you a very pragmatic question. Why not God? Why not God?
In fact, that's a question you might want to ask your neighbor or that family member. You're talking to them and it's hard to make headway with them about the things of faith. You might just want to ask them this very pragmatic question. Why not God? I mean, if the way you're living is not working, if the things you have tried is not working, why not try God? And can I say to you, God doesn't seem to to be bothered by the try God approach. That's why it says in Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I also say that because of the way the Bible ends. The Bible ends, of course, with the book of Revelation. There's 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. And near the end of the last chapter of the Bible, the Bible ends this way. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Whoever is thirsty, that's the only qualification. You don't have to stop things before you come to God. You just got to be thirsty. And whoever wishes, that means nobody is excluded. Nobody has done too much bad things. Nobody is is in a penalty box and can't come to God. Whoever wishes, that means anybody can. And here's the deal. Let him take the free gift. Let her take the free gift. The water of life. What God wants to give you is a gift that you and I could never earn. And David says, just taste and see. The Lord is good. I want to make you this promise. I want to make you this promise. Try God and you will find what your soul is searching for. Let's pray. This is not the kind of message where you just, we pray and say, okay, we're done. This message is really God's invitation to you. Whether you're watching online or here in the building, it's God's invitation to you. God is good. But if you've decided in your mind through observation what you've read and thought through, and if you've decided that there is no God or that that God's not for you, or maybe He's fine for your grandparents, but you don't need Him. David would say, would you at least taste? See? Would you at least try God? That is, you genuinely come to Him like the man in the New Testament who came to Jesus and he said, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but there's a part of me that I'm still struggling. There, I believe, but there's a part of me that I, I can't figure it all out. I, I believe, but there's a part of me I, I'm not sure. And so today is God's invitation where He's simply saying, just taste. Genuinely, genuinely return or repent of your sin and turn to God. Genuinely. Say, God, I, I confess to you, I'm a, I'm a sinner and I, I need salvation and I need your forgiveness. And I don't understand all of this stuff and I don't know the Bible, but I'm genuinely, 
I'm going to try God. I, genuinely, I'm going to surrender my life to you. Just taste. See how good God is. Right now, you can have that opportunity. Right where you are, watching online. Ask Him right now as you're praying. Ask Him right now. Here in the building, ask Him right now. And we'll just stand in just a moment. And you can come and tell me about the decision that you've made. Or you can come and let me pray with you. Just taste and see how good God is. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name that is above every name. I pray we pour our heart out to you. And we would not just know about you, but we might experience you and enjoy our relationship with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.